This is Emily Wilkins with Evaluation, the New Age Book Club. This week, uh, I'm going to read from the show. Bastard, chapter 18. Starts on page 273. Really cool picture on 272. Um, and it's, it's if you know if you ever get the book, the picture's really cool because it helps with understanding uh, the story that I'm going to tell. So... I'm going to start on page 274. Um, They're kind of just, you know, in 273 into 274, he's kind of just talking about how, um, you know, all these troops were rallying in England. And it's just talking about, like, all of a sudden, they're gone. You know, thousands and thousands of ships and troops are, are there and now they're going through the, they're going across the English Channel to to go to France, and it kind of I the reason I want to read this is uh, just to highlight that women were part of World War Two. It's kind of what you know. It's kind of what I'm trying to highlight. Women actually, even on the German side, even on I mean, on both the Axis and the Allies side. Um, women were more than just nurses, as I think is often. They were also linguists, meaning they were intercepting signals and they were writing out memos and passing that intelligence on. Um, in this case, though, this is just, you know, this is just a, a quick overview, but it's, you know, everyone who witnessed the empty ports and harbors of southern England was struck by the scale and the gravity of what was taking place. Jean Watson worked in secret communications for the Women's Royal Navy Service, WRNS, or RENS. For months, her Southampton naval base had been a whirl of energy. Now there was nothing but an awful, deathly silence that hung over everything. Where there had been thousands of troops and um, insistent noise, there was nothing. The tents, the troops, the guns, the ships were all gone. In common with Miss Campbell and Miss Bladford, Jean Watson knew that life would never be quite the same again. So now we're going to talk about Lord Lovett. Um, jump down to the, to the bottom. He was acutely aware that he had the chance of writing himself into the history books, not just because... Of his pedigree, um, he was the fifteenth Lord Lovett, but also um, he was commanding a class act. His special service brigade was at the very top of its game. So good, indeed, that his men helped train army rangers. Uh, and it, it lists off a name: um, James Rudder's Rangers, which is one of the. Um, ranger battalion i don't know if it's a battalion i don't want to say the wrong the but it's it's one of the rangers um commanders that he talks about in the book um it was a role that had brought lovett quite satisfaction the imperial master teaching his once colonial servants how to fight full circle right you know we break free of uh europe 1776 and here we are 200 years later hey can you show us you know how, whatever, you know, whatever they, whatever Lord Lovett was training the Rangers, um, to do. So 
Lord Lovett's men referred to him as the Mad Bastard, a term of endearment. They admired his flamboyancy just as they loved his swaggering confidence. Lord Lovett was a showman, and D-Day was to be his greatest act. Now, as his landing craft approached the French coast, he slipped into his mammogram shirt, battle dress, and joined Commander Rupert Curtis on the bridge. Together, they watched the early morning light churn the sea from an inky swell into an oyster shell gray. And then he talks about how um, basically that area was very rich. A lot of French would go there. They would get oysters. However, uh, this feast came to an end in 1940 when the hotels were taken over. And, you know, the shallows that once uh, and that probably still held these oysters were now uh, laid with mines. Lovett was familiar with the topography of the coastline for he had been studying it for many months. He also knew the battle plan by heart. The amphibious tanks should have already landed, followed almost immediately by the first wave of troops. These were the young soldiers of East York. Lovett's commandos were to be next to land at 8.40 a.m. on a beach whose gun's nest and pillbox should have been knocked out by an intense aerial bombardment. As the shoreline uh, sharpened into focus, the commandos uh, rechecked their life jackets and strapped on the last pieces of equipment. The final run-in was scheduled to take 40 minutes. Good morning, commandos, and the best of British luck. The message was flashed by um, a latest signaling lamp from a nearby battleship. Lovent sent a suitable reply. Thanks. We're going to bloody well need it. As the wind gave a stiff sigh, Commander Curtis ran up in the battle um, ensign. Lovett was delighted. War was becoming personal again. He said it with more than a hint of relish. He spoke to his men that morning of the swaggering Elizabethan adventures, Drake, Essex. He told them how Charles Howard, Lord High Admiral of England, had taught the Spanish by ordering enemy fire to be greeted by fanfare from his trumpeters. One of the soldiers suggested that his bagpipers, Bill Muggins, should do the same. Millen was feeling too, sea uh, too seasick to play anything. As he slid deeper behind the pile of uh, projective rut sacks, he was heard to mutter something incoherent about farting fire. No one understood what he was saying, but it was uh, it was it was funny to um, it was a good basically comparison to Lovett's lofty eloquence. So something to note is. The amphibious tanks did not get there. Uh, they they just didn't float as fast as they thought they were going to. So, um, that's kind of you know, sword definitely they were it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. But um, so now we're on page uh, two seventy six. The men took uh, a tut of rum. Water spouts erupted around them as the landing craft breached the shore in tight arrowheads. Lovett stood up to serve the scene. He nodded approvingly when he heard that Hutchie Birch's troop were belting out Jerusalem like a fierce um, 
Coventures of old. On landing craft 516, commanded by the thickest New Zealand boxer, Dennis Glover, and an even more extraordinary scene was unfolding. Glover had carried his uh, gramophone on board and was playing the robust music of an English hunting song. Such brass, balls, bravado was vital component in rising men's spirits. Lovett was a master of psychology of war. The shore was now so close that they could hear the crash of the breakers. Commander Curtis gunned the engines as he prepared to cut through the shallows. I'm going in! He was answered by others' cries from landing craft all around. Stand by the ramps! Lower away they, aware, uh, la, la. Lower aware there. Sorry, sometimes like just the way that things are worded in like English, English, I, I don't think we would say it that way, but here nor there. The commandos were hitting the beach at sword. Each of the five beach landings followed a similar pattern, yet each was intensely different for those racing from the shallows to the sea wall, with every individual poised between life and eternity. Death that morning was a game of chance. For most, the landing was petrifying. For a few, it was intoxicating. So, the reason why I wanted to read this is on page 278. Um... On the top of 278, Lovett himself could be seen striding through the shallows with scarcely a care in the world. It was as if he were immune to danger. Rupert Curtis was watching the unfolding scene from the bridge of the landing craft. It was incredulous and striking. Every minute detail of that scene seemed to take on microscopic intensity, and nothing more than the sight of Lovett's tall and uh, immaculate figure striding through the water, rifle in hand. As he paced briskly out of the surf, Lovett turned to Millen and initiated one of the more unlikely uh, snatches of conversation to take place on the beach that morning. Would you mind giving us a tune? He said as a line of bullets zipped into the sand. Millen could not believe his ears. He had just seen a, command, uh, com um, a comrade crumble dead into the water. They were all in grave danger of getting hit. You must be joking, surely. What was that, said Lovett? Millen knew better than to protest. If he was going to die, he might as well do it playing the bagpipes. Well, what tune would you have in mind, sir? How about Road to the Isles? Now, would you want me to walk up and down, sir? Yes, that would be nice. Yes, walk up and down. Showfire was exploding. And mortars were thumping into the dunes. There was the stutter of machine guns and arson smoke was billowing from the shoreline. Yet Bill Millen strolled up and down the beach, blasting his pipes for all he was worth. At one point, he felt a hand slap his shoulder. It was a sergeant. What are you fucking playing at, you mad bastard? You're attracting all the German attention. Millen might have retorted. As he did in years to come that Lord Lovett was the mad bastard, not him. He would later learn from two captured Germans that they didn't shoot him because they couldn't believe their eyes. They thought he was simple-minded. This man 
was saved because the Germans thought he was dumb. Um, absolutely insane. Um, it's, it's just a crazy story. And, you know, honestly, as I always say, this, this is, you know, there's so many intricacies going on because, you know, you have, you have the allies, which, you know, the, obviously the main, the main, uh, the main allies are going to be the Americans, the British, and, and the Canadians, um, forces, but it is just absolutely insane to me, like, I actually, I, I chuckled when I read this, because I was like, that is just next level dedication. Um, so, one beachside pillbox was causing such serious trouble that it required prompt and decisive action. Nev Muscle Car, a skinny but determined young saboteur, now proved just how determined he was, storming the pillbox single-handedly and silencing its guns with a couple of well-placed grenades. Lovett thought he deserved a vic uh, Victorian or Victoria Cross for his bravery, but he was one of the many whose heroics were forgotten over the weeks and months to come. Not for the first time in the war, and not for the last, many in lower ranks were deprived of richly deserved medals. Only the dead got their name on a public memorial. His lordship was drilled an urgent dictum into his men. He who hesitates is lost. It was one they followed to the letter. Few hesitated on the beach that morning. Least of all were the men of Sixth Commando who moved like a knife through enemy butter. They blasted a passage off the beach, achieving in seconds what the lads of the East Yorks had failed to do over the course of 40 minutes. The German defenders didn't stand a chance as two of Lovett's most efficient officers, Alan Pyman and Donald, do not know how to say that, blew their way through the stretch of the Atlantic Wall, mopping up pillboxes and their immediate strong points with hand grenades and portable flamethrowers. Bren machine guns were used uh, to devastating effect, spraying lead into every beachside rebout. Lovett chuckled with delight as he glimpsed Derek Mills Roberts bounding through exploding shells and mortars as if he were invincible. He looked like Marshal Ney leading the old guard at Waterloo. It was not long before the Ger uh, Germans threw in the towel. They were simply outclassed by the commandos. Soon, a trickle of gray uniforms appeared, bewildered men in shock, their hands clasped over the back. They were taken prisoners and lined up prior to being sent down to an assembly point at the beach. Oh, you are the chap with the languages, said Lovett as he caught sight of Peter Masters, his German translator. Masters had fled his native Vienna in 1938 and sought refuge in England. Signing up for the commando, a specialist unit that consisted entirely of foreign nationals. Lovett pointed to a band of captured Germans. Asked them where the Houtwitzers are, he said. Masters quizzed one of the men, and a burly bruise, uh, bruiser with a bad uh, 
pate. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I should probably have looked that up. But the prisoner simply shrugged his shoulders and declined to answer. Look at that arrogant bastard. Sniped one who was, uh, who was watching. He doesn't even talk to our men when they were asking him questions. But when Masters looked at uh, the pay books, he saw they were all Russian or Polish. The bald man's name was John Kermowski, a farmer from Ritabar. He didn't understand a word of German. Masters now tried to address them in French, thinking they might have learned it in school. But Lord Lovin's French was better than his. He took over the interrogation. Masters was more worldly and cultured than many of his fellow command, uh, commandos. He had been raised outside the English class system and felt none of the social differences that his comrades displayed towards their aristocratic commander. And nevertheless, admired Lovett's impeccable coolness. He was very calm. He carried no other weapon other than his Colt forty-five in his holster. Instead, he had a walking stick, a slim stick forked at the top. It was, in fact, a Scottish waiting stick, more usually used uh, when fording fast through uh, some uh, fast-flowing Scottish rivers. So, these guys, they do what, what you know, unfortunately, uh, the, the British soldiers that landed before them could not do. And they capture these guys because they're trying to. The whole idea is that you gotta you gotta disable the guns, you gotta go and find these big guns, and you gotta you gotta blow them up, or you have to mark the location and have the navy ships blow it up, or you have to have the uh, the air force bl- uh, drop bombs, which. At that time, at this time, the actual Air Force uh, was not yet instated. That wouldn't mean until 1947. But you had your Army Air Corps, and I think they already had Navy. Not, I don't think I know they already had Navy pilots at this time, and I believe Marine Corps pilots as well. So, um, you know, it's just absolutely insane what these young men were doing insane i cannot imagine storming the beach sword beach and knowing this might be it when this when this ramp hits there's a chance i'm not going to make it i mean and and it's not a chance i mean it's it's most likely so i'm gonna leave you guys with that um i this story i i I know it's not that funny but it kind of just made me chuckle because i can't imagine um you know, Lord, uh, this is on page 286, uh, 286, when Lord Lovett's piper walked up and down the beach, piping his lungs out, the Germans seemed stunted as if they'd seen a ghost. Lord Lovett's confidence is is probably what saved a lot of his men, because he was like, we're going to make sure if these men have nothing else, they have morale. Game changer. Um... Yeah, this is, you know, there's just so many, there's just so many tidbits, and, um, yeah, so as you, uh, as you know, as I always say, go listen to my homie Dom's podcast, um, I've, I've, like, kind of chopped up a song, and I use it on, um, my intro into this, uh, podcast, 
I love the Crap album. Um, amazing. You can get it on uh, any any stra- uh, streaming platform. Um, I have some other homies that do great things. Uh, you know, my friend Kayla makes cups. Actually, I have two friends, Kayla's, that makes cups. I have, you know, a good friend, um, Operation Honor Our Heroes, if you want to donate. It's just to remind families uh, that maybe can't make it out to Arlington Cemetery uh, that, you know, we go out there and, and we put flags uh, on their graves. You know, it's, you know, just uh, pay your respects uh, to those that, that, that gave all, that gave, the, you know, gave their lives. Um, uh, so, also my homie Pat, uh, stage name Neji Vibes. Released a project called Moonchild 3. Go check it out. So, I think that's all I got for you guys. Um, I'm not going to lie. I don't know when I start school how frequent I'm going to do this. And I'm also, like I said in the last one, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Um... I got really lucky, I think, with, like, the first book I did, um, that it just was really easy to follow, and so I have to kind of, I think I'm going to have to kind of decide a way forward, and I'll figure it out, uh, for my, you know, three or four listeners, thank you, uh, for keeping up with this, and listening to my podcast, and supporting it, and, you know, I really, I enjoy reading. It's something I love. It's, it's just different when you have to try to give a, a message. So I think I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to tweak it. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kind of bring it to a think tank and uh, I'll get back with you guys. But Simile Wilkins, your host of the Evaluation, the New Age Book Club. And I'll catch you guys next time. Peace.